If you brought your Bibles with you today, we are looking at Isaiah 53.7. We are in the midst of a study of the suffering servant passage, which is a prophecy from Isaiah from centuries before, predicting and looking at my servant, who we understand to be the Messiah, our Savior Jesus. I'm also going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 through 18. So again, if you have a Bible app or if you use BibleGateway.com, you might want to also make reference to that because we'll actually look at that text more. I'm calling our message today, Silence is a Superpower. Now, I'd like to ask this question. Have any of you ever gotten yourself in trouble because of something you said? Are any of you dishonest? No, no, we don't. <laughs> we all do it, don't we? We've all said something we shouldn't. Well, silence is a superpower. Now, when I say that, I realize I'm not like the superhero person like my son David is. He can tell you about all of the the cartoons or comic books he read when he was a kid and all the movies. He can tell you all the newest ones that come out. He can review them. He can tell you which Batman movie is better than which one and Superman and Spider-Man. I can't even keep them all straight. However, the concept of a superpower certainly always pervades all of those. But sometimes when we look at Scripture, people talk to me in such a way that they make it sound as if they think that if you lived in the first century or you lived in Bible times, that you would have a superpower that we don't have today. And so people will look at Scripture and they'll say, if I only lived during that time, things would be different. Or maybe if I knew Jesus and got to know him personally. And here's the truth. A lot of times the things that we see in Scripture are no different than how we live our lives. And so when we learn what the Bible teaches, we discover that the same things that were offered then are offered today. We just fail to live them out or claim them. Let me give an example. Jesus was born, and his father, Joseph, heard from an angel. But if you look carefully in Matthew's gospel and you read what took place, he saw the angel while he was asleep in a dream. Now, how many of you went to bed last night? How many of you had slept, right? We go to bed and we sleep. Therefore, we can call it today sleeping on it. But there's that same experience that we have that we can wait and pause for something, give it time, go to bed, sleep, wake up and say, wow, God has just really helped me understand now a decision I need to make or maybe a change I need to do. Well, this morning we're looking at a superpower that Jesus had and it's called learning to keep his mouth shut. He knew how to do that better than anyone. He's God incarnate in human flesh. So as much as we see divinity coming through with God, we also see these times like we're going to look at today when all Jesus did is didn't say something, and guess what? You and I have the same ability. We're like, duh, I never thought of that. Like, we can walk out of here and go, okay, I got one point out of the sermon. I don't always have to tell everybody everything that's on my mind. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, well, that's where I want us to begin. We're told this in verse 7 of Isaiah 53. Again, it's a prophecy that we attribute and we now understand is how Jesus lived his life. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. It was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before it cheers, he did not open his mouth. You see, silence allowed Jesus 
to have a perspective and to do something that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that got me thinking about this whole thing of Jesus being silent, because we know there's a time when we have to speak up. We teach our kids that. If you see somebody being treated poorly, you speak up and you say something, or we have to speak up for ourselves. But still within the text, there is this whole idea that Jesus also understood that there was a time not to speak. So I asked members of our congregation, what do you think about that? What do you think about Jesus being silent? And here are some things that people said back to me. Silence allowed Jesus to let everybody else see that he knew what he was doing. He didn't have to explain himself to anyone. Somebody else said, silence allowed him to make the basic statement, I only answer to God. I don't answer to human beings. Another thing about his silence is loud words would have only distracted from the cruelty that he was being treated with. So had he been yelling and and screaming back, that would not have been sin. I'm absolutely convinced. Had Jesus yelled back at someone and said, ow, that hurts, that's horrible, you shouldn't be doing that, stop it, that wouldn't have been him doing something wrong, but it may have distracted from the fact that now that would have become the object that people would have seen as opposed to the cruelty that he was facing. Also, Jesus' silence, and we know this as we get ready for Lent and or for a Holy Week, and we think about Jesus' sacrifice, it allows people to think for themselves. That when Jesus isn't saying anything, we take a step back and we ponder the whole thing and say, what does this mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean that my sins put him on the cross? So silence is a very powerful thing. Yet at the same time, we know that Jesus spoke up. He goes into the temple, and he sees things that are happening wrong, and he turns over tables, and he says something about it. We also know that the woman who's caught in adultery and is being treated unfairly, that Jesus speaks up and does something and also tells people, hey, anybody without sin, you cast the first stone. So it's not that Jesus never said anything, and it's not that the text is telling us to never speak up. There are times when we have to speak up, because just as silence can be a superpower, it can also be an excuse for us to walk away at times when we really should be engaged and involved in something, and so we need to hear that balance. That's not what the text is teaching us. What the text is teaching us is that Jesus knew the appropriate times and the times when he didn't say anything. And so that got me thinking about the Old Testament that Jesus would have known well. Because, you know, if you had kid Jesus growing up here, and the Bible says he grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature, and and he had all the same experiences growing up that that kids do today, and you would have interviewed him as a 14-year-old, he wouldn't have known anything about YouTube, he wouldn't have known anything about any of the TV shows or any of the things that kids see on the internet, but he would have known the Old Testament very well. We know that because the Bible tells us that about him. The growing up, he would go to the temple and he would read the scriptures and hear the passages and give his opinion of what it was. And by the time he was about a 12-year-old kid, it said that some of the most learned people would argue with Jesus because he was so familiar with Old Testament scriptures. So now when our Savior is demonstrating something on the cross and, and the end of his life, He's not just doing it as a happenstance thing. It also comes out of that whole knowledge and wealth of information that he's living out what the scriptures teach us. Same thing we can learn. When we take the Bible and when we read it and when we apply it to our lives, we start living different 
And that's what Jesus is doing, even in the silence. So then I started looking. What are some things that we learn in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, about silence? And that brought me to a number of passages, but only one I want to look at this morning, which is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 through 18. And it's a passage on wisdom and the wisdom of learning to keep our mouth shut. Wisdom of learning to be more quiet in our everyday experiences. Or what I would like to call our silent superpower. You see, the first thing we discover is our silent superpower allows us to do the right thing. Too often we think we need to say the right thing. That's what gets us into trouble. I cannot say anything and do the right thing, or I can say something and not do the right thing, and what's speaking volumes are actions. I'll give an example. I can tell you, well, I'm going to go out and run a super marathon this afternoon. I'm going to run 100 miles. And you can all go home and be, wow, that is impressive. Our pastor is going to go run 100 miles. Well, guess what, folks? I'm not. I'm going to watch a Celtics game later today, and probably St. Peter's at 5 o'clock. You see, what we say and what we do can be very different, and words can often be very cheap. But Jesus didn't get defined only by saying the right things, but sometimes by being quiet. And in being quiet, we have to look at how he spoke through his actions. In Ecclesiastes, in chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, we're told, The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by the evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. In other words, Jesus would have known and experienced every day that this world can be a cruel place. This world can be an unfair place. Kids will grow up and will say, it's not fair. Do you know what the answer is? You're right, it's not fair. This world is not created and, and lived out as a place where peace and justice happens everywhere. And therefore, what the writer in Ecclesiastes is reminding us is, just like a fish can just be minding its own business and caught in a net, or like a bird could be taken in a snare, so we may be just trapped by something that we didn't see coming and we had no idea it was happening, and we will get those moments in our life when we will say, this, how did this happen? I did all the right things. How did I find myself in this predicament? Or why did that person do that which wasn't fair and was cruel and was hurtful? That got me thinking about the people in Ukraine. You see, the citizens of Ukraine did not bring war on themselves. They didn't do anything wrong. They lived life like we do. Life was no different. I remember... Not long ago, I heard one woman who was interviewed, she goes, last week I was thinking, what time to drop my child off at childcare, and this week I'm hoping to get out of Kiev to stay alive with my same children. That's just unfair, folks. It just happened out of nowhere for them. There are people who are smarter, healthier, and more successful than I will ever be. They went to 
American universities and graduated from Harvard or Yale. They, they went to Oxford in England. They did all the right things. They studied. They worked hard. They saved their money. They built their house. And now they have absolutely nothing. And bring that on themselves. And Jesus on the cross is a moment in which we see the cruelty of life and the unfairness of life and the fact that things aren't going to be the way that we know they should be. But realizing that life is not fair, the swift may lose the battle, the wise and the wealthy may go without food, in Jesus' silence, he still acted a certain way. He still lived a certain way. He didn't have to yell and scream as he was going to the cross and telling everybody what they did was wrong. You can see that it was wrong. But how he acted and treated people spoke volumes. So you go to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus is with his disciples and now a friend of his has betrayed him. And the guards come in to arrest him and Peter, wanting to do something, pulls out a sword and he strikes a guy on the ear. Doesn't matter what Jesus says at that point. He walks over and he puts his hand on the guard and he has a prayer for him and he heals him right there. That speaks volumes of how Jesus is treated in an unfair situation. We see that throughout the scriptures as we look at how Jesus acted. He didn't act like a hardened criminal on the cross. He was kind to people. And he listened to people and he talked to others. This last week I read from one of the websites that, that does humanitarian relief work in Ukraine about a farmer, just an everyday farmer named Dmitry. And I discovered that the farmers in Ukraine have a problem that we can't even comprehend. You see, they're facing a difficult situation. Do they wait to plant their fields as the war unfolds and miss time to have a successful harvest? Or do they plant right now knowing that Russian forces may come in and destroy their farm? That's two bad choices, folks. So what are they doing? They're staying and they're planting. They're doing the right thing. Now, last time I checked, I, I don't turn on Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, or any of the major networks and hear a bunch of farmers telling us anything. They're not, they're not speaking anything. They're not out going on the talk show hosts and, and talk show circuit and telling us all about what's wrong, but their words are through their actions, and they're speaking volumes about doing the right thing, just like we're talking about Pastor Oleg doing the right thing and staying and, and helping people and helping transform churches into shelters. Jesus' actions during his crucifixion spoke volumes. Had Jesus yelled and put himself in arguing with others, he would have put himself on their level. And our Savior wasn't going to do that. And he teaches us that, that that's not the right thing to do many times. That if all we do is become one more talking head or, or arguing and yelling and screaming at people when other people are all upset, all we're doing is just acting like everyone else. Like Jesus, godly silence has its place. There are times when it doesn't matter what we say, it matters what we do and how we act. Sometimes people will come to me and you'll say, you know, Pastor Stan, I was in a situation and somebody said something and I didn't know what to say and I just walked away from it and I've been thinking about it and I wish I would have said. Maybe it's better that we didn't say. 
Maybe we did the right thing and we listened to the Holy Spirit and just left the whole situation alone. A good friend of mine who I got to know in my first church, he and I used to meet every single week for lunch. He said to me, do you know the old saying, don't wrestle with a pig? He said, don't wrestle with a pig. The pig has all the fun and all you do is get dirty. Jesus reminds us of the importance of not having to always speak, but on how do we act. How did Jesus treat people in the garden? How did he treat people on his way to the cross? And how did he treat people on the cross? Because the other thing about silence, and silence being a superpower, is our silent superpower allows us to do the most creative of all things, one of the most powerful things we could ever do, shut our mouth and open our ears. Isn't that what our moms taught us? You know, honey, you got one mouth and two ears for a reason. And when we're quiet, we can listen. And that's also what we hear in Ecclesiastes. Verses 13 through 15, we're told, I also saw under the sun an example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it and surrounded it and built a huge siege work against it. Now there lived in that city a man who was poor but wise, and he saved the city with his wisdom. Then this line, but nobody remembered that poor man. You hear that? A quiet, soft-spoken man lived in a city and saved the city, and nobody even remembered it. I was using this as a text for our Bible study in our men's group on Friday, and one of the guys, he lives in upstate New York, he said, you know, when I get to heaven, everybody else is going to be running over to see St. Peter, and they're going to want to see the Apostle Paul, and people certainly want to meet Jesus. I want to meet this guy in Ecclesiastes who was willing to just quietly do the right thing and save a city, and nobody even gave him recognition. But that's part of what happens when we listen. We can perceive things, and we can understand things, and then when we speak, we can say the right thing, or when we act, we can act the right way. This soft-spoken, poor, wise man ended up being more effective than a powerful king. Quietness by its very nature means we won't get recognition. Nobody's ever going to pat you on the back and say, wow, you really kept your mouth shut. Thank you. Congratulations. We aren't going to get recognition. We're not even going to get noticed for it. But it's the right thing to do. That's why as Jesus was quiet and was listening he did things like noticed his mom and turned to John when he was on the cross and said, John, take my mom in, into your home and take care of her after I've died. That meant he was paying attention and listening to what was going on. He also, with all the commotion that was going on out there, started noticing these guys who were also being crucified and he listened to one of them who he was able to say, you know, young man, you'll be with me today in paradise and was able to speak words of healing and, and comfort and reassurance. And then he softly, at the right moment, was able to say, it's finished. And nobody heard that. People weren't paying attention. All the other noise is going around. But boy, aren't we glad that Jesus quietly was able to say, you know, it's all been done. Guess what, folks? There's nothing more you need to do to earn your forgiveness from God. 
Jesus paid the price and paid it in full. And when you and I go through life and, and we feel like, oh, I must do more, or can God really forgive this, or how do I do this? We can relax and realize that Jesus quietly paid attention. And at the moment when everything was complete, allowed us to know it's all complete. He didn't do that by arguing or yelling at people. He didn't do that by bragging and sitting on the cross going, hey, guess what, folks? I'm saving the world up here. He did it by quietly paying attention to what was going on. You'll go to a family get-together and things start getting tense. And you start and look at it and you can enter into the fray and people are taking sides. Or you can sit back and you can say, you know what, this is going to go off the rails and quietly say something after you've observed. What about those Celtics? You know, Marcus Smart's playing pretty good, and pretty soon people are talking about that, and now everybody's happy. Nobody's going to pat you on the back later and say, you know, you saved that family dinner. You won't get credit for it. But sometimes just being quiet and listening allows us to do the right thing. And when we listen and are able to do the right thing, it makes a difference that we never get credit for. This last week, I was talking to my daughter-in-law, Laura, and we were talking about the grandchildren and, and the fact that during COVID, kids have not been out as much as, as they normally would have been. And she said, you know, Ruby needs to get to the library. And so it was Thursday, and I had the morning off, and I looked on the web, and lo and behold, the Plymouth Public Library had story time at 11 o'clock. What a great opportunity. So I told Ruby at 8 o'clock, big mistake, you don't tell a a three-year-old or two-and-a-half-year-old, that you're going to take them to the library in a few hours because now she wanted to go now. I was like, honey, no, we're not going now. Yes, library now. No, if we go to the library, it's going to be closed. We're just going to be sitting in a cold parking lot, okay? No, pa, library now. So we got through the couple hours. We finally get to the, uh, the library, and I walk in, and there's all these parents and all these grandparents and all these kids, and everybody's all excited for story time, and they came out and they told us story time is canceled. So I'm thinking to myself, this could go bad really quickly. But I looked around and I noticed how all the parents and all the grandparents just kindly paid attention, paid attention to their children, started doing other activities for the kids, started redirecting the kids, getting kids to play together. We have a little picture of Ruby sitting on a hobby horse where she's riding it back and forth and grandpa's taking a, a film of her and sitting with books and she met friends who were her age but you know what? Nobody gets credit for that. Librarian didn't walk out and say, wow, you all saved story time. But by being quiet and paying attention, all the adults were able to do the right thing. And there were no upset kids and there was no problem. That's what Jesus somehow is teaching us in learning that quietness is a superpower. When Jesus kept his mouth shut, he didn't have to explain. There was no parent that was there saying, hey, guess what, folks? I saved story time. We could have had a whole bunch of upset children around here, but instead I started the trend that you all followed, and we all just took care of the kids. That's not what Jesus teaches us. What he teaches us is to quietly listen and pay attention and find the things that we can do and do it and not expect anything in return. Just to learn to do the right thing. Quietness is a superpower. It transforms our world. And it also is a superpower because it's greater than all the noise that's out there. And that's where it takes our faith. We hear the noise. We see the arguing. We see the shouting. We see the Facebook posts and whatever. 
And we need to be reminded that that's not what changes our world. What transforms our world is when godly people prayerfully pray for this world and listen to others and speak at the appropriate times rather than just entering into the fray. Our text in Ecclesiastes ends with these words. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. A lot of family fights could have been saved over that one. A lot of times we could calm things down if we would just keep our own mouths shut and listen and pay attention to what somebody else is saying. Jesus knew that the times he chose to be quiet spoke volumes. Just like a sheep going to a shearer or a sheep going to the slaughter. It says it keeps us motion, but it doesn't really. The sheep does say something. It goes bleat, bleat, bleat. And that speaks volumes about the value of that precious little animal. When we're able to be quiet and learn to calm ourselves down, we discover that that sometimes is greater and more powerful than all the other stuff because either then when we talk, somebody will listen or we've been able to take an evaluation of things and maybe we saw somebody over here who really got their feelings hurt and nobody else is even paying attention and we can go in and talk to them and give them care and understanding. On the cross, Jesus taught us how to go through difficult times with wisdom when we quiet down and pause and wait, we can learn to say the right thing. That's why Jesus, in his softness, in his barely saying anything, spoke volumes. One of the things that Jesus said on the cross, and I've, I repeat this one all the time in sermons, I say, Jesus is on the cross, and all this stuff is going on down there, and what does he do? He looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And I've always thought about that and how that's such a comforting word for all of us because what that's doing is reminding us that we're forgiven. But you know, it's also something else. He's pronouncing that they did something wrong. He's pronouncing their guilt with those words because he wouldn't be saying forgive them if, if they hadn't done anything wrong. Sometimes learning to be quiet and soft and learning to say the right things there's a wisdom that comes from it that we don't have to enter into the fight and into the fray, but on the other hand, that also doesn't mean we compromise our values. Jesus didn't say, oh, it doesn't matter what anybody did here today. He pronounced forgiveness because of the evil atrocities that were taking place. A number of years ago, I went and visited Grand Rapids, Michigan. Do you know what's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, other than cereal? My nephew, <laughs> I went there for a wedding. But something else, the Gerald Ford Presidential Library. When you go to a place, you look around, you say, hey, what's here? And I found out the Presidential Library was there, so I decided to go visit the Presidential Library. Now, I always knew some things about President Ford because I sort of came of age like many of us did during the Watergate era. I was about a 13-year-old kid when Richard Nixon resigned. I still remember where we were. I was from North Dakota, but we're traveling up in Portland, Maine, when it came over on the radio. I also know that Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon, and that was considered a politically stupid thing to do. Do you know why? He didn't get elected, because by pardoning, our country wanted fights, and they wanted vengeance, and they wanted a trial. 
And President Ford said, no, we need to move on and we need to heal. So I knew all of that. And so I realized that was not a smart thing to do as far as if you're trying to win an election. I knew it was a right thing to do if you're trying to bring healing to a nation. But when I went to the Ford Museum, I discovered something else. I discovered that, first of all, they have a whole big area there that talks about Watergate and Gerald Ford's pardon. And one of the things that they point out is that by Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon, it meant that Richard Nixon had to admit guilt because innocent people don't get pardoned. Richard Nixon accepted the pardon, and by accepting the pardon, because it was before any trial or anything, he was quietly able to be able to say, yes, I did wrong. And a nation was wanting, let's keep this fight going. And Gerald Ford said, we don't need a fight to keep going. We need to move on as a nation. You see, sometimes doing the quiet right thing allows for healing, but it did also mean he didn't get elected and he lost the next election. Ford's quiet pardon. Somehow, as I was reading and seeing that, standing at the Ford Museum, reminded me of how that man of faith, and he is a man of faith, and his son's a Presbyterian minister, went to the same seminary I went to, was learning to just live out what the Bible teaches us about not always entering the fight, not always having to be the person who gets the last word in, or not always be the person who says one more thing. You see, silence really is a superpower. And like Jesus, we need to learn when to speak and we need to learn when to keep our mouth shut. And like Jesus, keeping our mouth shut doesn't mean that we agree with everything that everybody else is doing. It just means that at those moments we acknowledge that there's nothing to be gained by us just keeping it going and adding more fuel to the fire. Like Jesus, when we keep our mouth shut, we can wait until it's the right time to speak. And when we do the right thing, it doesn't mean we're going to get recognition. Because a lot of times, probably most of the time, we won't. But here's the key. Doing the right thing is the right thing to do. Learning when to practice godly silence is a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, we all face those moments every single day in our life, and we need to be prayerful about it. We need to enter into situations more and say, Lord, is this a time when you want me to speak? Or is this really just a time when I need to stop and pause? Maybe sleep on it and see if an angel comes and speaks to me tonight the way it spoke to Joseph. Or maybe pay attention and look at what's really going on that nobody else sees. Because what God is doing in our lives is transforming us into the image of his son. That's not our work, that's God's work. And when we put ourselves in the place where God can do that work, we start growing and we start becoming more like Christ. And that's what our world needs, that's what our families need, and that's who we need to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to learn from our Savior. Help us learn from Jesus at the moment in which the worst was happening to him, was at times the moments that he said the least. Help us learn what it means when Isaiah prophesied about the one who would be the Messiah and said, oppressed and treated harshly, he never said a word. He didn't open his mouth. 
Help us hear that wisdom in our lives and experience the grace and forgiveness we need for the things that we've said and the things that we didn't trust your spirit, but help us be Holy Spirit-led Christians, able to trust that you are a sovereign God and your work is happening and we are privileged to be part of it. And at the times when we need to say something, because we've learned to be silent, we'll know what to say. And bless us not only this morning, but as we go forth and seek to serve you in all that we do this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.